0: Y'all glad to be in church still? Yes. All right. Uh, if you don't know me, you're new to Connect Church. My name is Pastor Derek. I'm so glad that you're with us. And uh, I want to take a moment to welcome all the online viewers. Can you do that with me right now? Thanks for being with us. Um, so we're, we're in this series entitled uh, My Crazy Family. And, you know, the backdrop for this was uh, we just came out of this intense apologetic series and challenging my brain to the max, and, uh, and I just thought, you know what, we kind of need like a little cool down, you know, and let's just, let's just um, kind of have some fun a little bit, and let's, let's chillax in church. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's chillax a little bit. <laughs> Chill and relax is chillax, all right? That's the word of the day. That's the word of the day. So, but at the same time, at the same time, we want to learn how to do and build strong uh, families. Uh, strong friendships, strong relationships, and uh, we can never do enough on the on the subject of relationship. In fact, week one, we kicked it off, and one of the things that uh, we did was we, we primarily dealt with the nucleus of the family, which is marriage. But it had, there was a principle we unpacked. It had spin-out implications to all aspects of relationship, friendships, and and and, and family, and extended family. And the principle was everything can change with a little understanding. How many were here for last week? All right. If you if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, uh, it was kind of new material, fresh material. I haven't taught on that before. Certainly, the there's nothing new under the sun. But in terms of just public ministry, I I, I just I got a lot of that for myself, and uh, I want to encourage you uh, go to YouTube and subscribe. You'll get the message sent right to your email. If you, if you so you don't even have to think about it, or you go to our website and watch it online. It'll help you a lot. Uh, but today we're gonna we're gonna go into another aspect of. Uh, of relationships within the family and we're going to deal with kind of the crazy people in our lives. How many, how many know um, there are these people in our lives that kind of step in and because of their, their behavior, their moods, their personality, their, sometimes they can be a little controlling, they can be you know, a little manipulative, they can, they can just kind of make you go a little bit insane. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody have a family member like that? Anybody? Okay, if you're not raising your hand... You are that family member. So we're going to be talking about you that didn't raise your hand. You should have raised your hand. Turn to your neighbor and say, did you raise your hand? (laughs) Because I want to know if you're crazy. If you're crazy. Okay. Okay. So last week I showed you a clip from my family, just kind of a crazy moment. There are many I could have showed you, but today I'm going to show you a clip from the craziest family in television. And you guys will know this family right away. Um, And basically what's happening in this scene is uh, Raymond and his brother Robert, who are both married. um, Raymond has his own house. He lives in his own house. and, And Robert's across the street living with his mom. And his wife is with him temporarily and this particular scene, the parents come to Robert Raymond and the girls and basically say, and they think this. They think the family's going to be so upset when they hear this news. And the parents tell the kids, we're moving away, 85 minutes away. And, and they're so concerned about what the kids are going to think, and they're going to be so sad, and they're going to be so upset. And so what I want you to do is I want you to see the kids' reaction to their parents moving away. Check this out right now.
1: We're comforting each other This is something, huh? Yeah, something Something (laughs) <laughs> it's on, a little time. What a little <laughs> Waiting for the best part. <laughs> we get the house. Oh, us Our own house! <laughs> you get the house? We get the house. $26,000. <laughs> Why do you get that? Well, you care, right? $26,000. 85 minutes. You're right. You're right. You're right. Pretty shaken up.
0: <laughs> oh my God. I've watched that like 20 times, okay? And I, the smashing up against the refrigerator, that is just, there's just nothing better than that. <laughs> So we all have crazy people in our lives, and, and sometimes we celebrate when they're gone, right? I want to give you like six categories. This doesn't cover it all, but there are... I've, obviously, there's different types of crazy people in our lives. Um, the, the first kind of group or category is the demanding types. This is like the, the little Napoleons of life, you know? Um, bossy, pushy, commanding, controlling... You know, they sit at the head of the table and they tell you what they want, how they want it. They make their demands. They're telling you, you know, they're kind of imposing on your schedule, imposing on your priorities. They, they drive you a little bit crazy, right? Then we have this second type. and you're, you're going to have faces show up on the, you know, the windshield of your life right now as I'm doing this, okay? So you have the disapproving, all right? Uh, I have this term, I call it lint pickers. Lint pickers are looking at themselves and they can never fix all the problems. These aren't lint pickers. These are nit pickers. They're picky, 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 picky. They're always seeing what's wrong even though there's a lot of things that are right. In fact, you know these people, you could have done 20 things right. They'll come over and they'll see the one thing you did wrong. How many know what I'm talking about right now? Okay, you know, and and they, they 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 think that they're helping you. They're they're kind of convinced that they have the spiritual gift of criticism. It's a gift. It's in First Corinthians four hundred, and and and. Uh, and so they make it sound like, I just, I just want to make you better. I'm just trying to help you, honey. I'm just trying to show you this. And so they criticize your appearances. They criticize the way you keep house. They criticize your meal and how it tastes. They criticize, you know, the way you raise your kids. And uh, they point these things out. They drive you crazy, okay? Here's the third group, uh, the deafening crazies, okay? Deafening. These are the megaphones of life. They're just so obnoxious, super loud you know what i mean in fact when when they call you on the phone if you're husband and wife you you probably have code language you know for these people it's like you know what i mean like you you you're, you're letting everybody know it's it's oh, you know and you pull the phone away like this and you can hear them right everybody and it's just a megaphone it's just yep mm-hmm, it's her it's him deafening deafening and and they they kind of machine gun you. They, they talk you into surrender and into submission with their words. They, they kind of drive you crazy. Then we have, uh, number four, we have the destructive types. Now, this is a little more serious, this particular type. These are, these are the angry types. Uh, these are the easily angered types. These are the, you know, Uncle S- uh, Vesuvius. This is the Mama St. Helens. You getting the connection, you know? These are the volcanic personalities, um, they, there can be an eruption like in a moment. In fact, you're going around in your life and when you get around these people, you, you got to walk on eggshells. You got to be careful. You don't know when the volcano will explode and lava of language that will cause the eruption and take over all the relationships and things that are happening in your life. These people, um, these people can make you a little bit crazy. All right. Number five, two more. We have the discontented. Uh, these are the people who get their feelings easily hurt. These are like, you know, these are the people that are carrying the violin around. And there's, there's whiny, piny music in the background. Very touchy. Very touchy. Very, very thin-skinned. In fact, sometimes you're just, you're actually trying to be nice and somehow they think you're being mean. You you say something and they take it a totally different way than what you said it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, I didn't, that's not what I was saying. Why are you getting so hurt and so offended? And
1: because, because.
0: They're very, 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 very thin skin. It's hard to talk to because they have an emotional sunburn and you could hit them like this or you could just touch them, it doesn't matter. There's a sunburn. Makes you go a little crazy. Makes you think you're crazy sometimes. And then number six, we have the demeaning personality. These are kind of like the smart mouths. These are, these are the people who are good at insults. You know, they, they kind of use sarcasm as a weapon. Uh, you know, sarcasm is masking the rude and the critical and all that sort of thing. And, 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 and they're, some, they're almost masterful at it. It's like, the, it's like the woman who put on a dress and she's looking in the mirror and she's discouraged. She's like, this dress makes me look fat. Honey, I need a compliment. And so he looks at her and he says, well, at least your eyesight is good. See, don't write that down, gentlemen. Don't, don't write that down, okay? So as I'm going through these types, it's not all the types. It's not all the crazies that are in the world today. Just, it's just to kind of jog your brain a little bit. I want, I want you to connect in this message because there's going to be a point in time where those situations have, have scenarios and they have people connected to those. And it can create offense and it can create hurt and it can create... It can create conflict in our lives. And, and the Bible gives us clear instructions, even assignment, assignments or homework on how to work through these situations in our lives. In order for us to have strong families and strong friendships and strong relationships within our church family, we've got to learn how to navigate the craziness of life, crazy relationships, crazy people. My friend used to say, crazy nuts people. We've got to learn how to do that. Can I have an Amen. Now, so I'm going to give you like four steps on how to do that. Let me just say this right up front. Each step is harder. Isn't that encouraging? I'm going to give you one, and you're going to be like, oh, this is so hard. Then we'll get ready because the next one's even harder. And the next one's even harder. Why? Well, it's kind of on purpose because, and God does it like that, because he wants you to see it's impossible to do it without his help. I want you to realize you can't do it without his help. And actually, along the way, he's going to ask you to do something before you see something happen. That's part of this Christian experience is sometimes it's just a step of obedience and a step of faith before you can see the reward, the outcome, and the difference and the change in the relationship. Is everybody tracking with me out there? Okay, so how to handle the crazy. Number one, refuse to get offended. Refuse to get offended. In other words... You got to be careful. You got to you got to refuse to take things personal. Don't take it so personal. It reminds me of a woman. She got on the bus with a little baby, a little infant. She's climbing up the stairs. It's kind of an old crotchety bus driver. He's been doing it apparently too long and he's miserable and he's just wearing his misery on his sleeve and he looks over and goes, that baby's ugly. The woman was just, she didn't even know what to say. She's just shocked. And so she goes back to her seat and She's just kind of sitting in her shock, and her shock starts coming out over her face. And and eventually, shock moves to downright offense. She's like, she's just, she's offended. And the guy next to her sees that she's shocked and sees that she's upset about it. He says, are you okay, ma'am? And she's like, no, I'm not. That bus driver just told me my baby was ugly. He goes, did he really? You need to go up there and tell him off. She goes, okay, I'm going to do that. He goes, here, give me the monkey. I'll hold it. (laughs) again don't write these things down (laughs) don't write these things down okay so here's the deal why am i telling you that because when people are rude like that it's revealing their character not yours be careful be careful not to fall into that character trap they're revealing their character not yours it's not about you they're just acting crazy you don't have to turn around and act crazy as well there are too many things in this world to be offended about In 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 this life, we can get offended about certain social injustice, we can get offended about you know children in in poverty and and, and starvation, and we can get offended about things like sex trafficking and and other things. Like that's okay. But God's word is really clear all, all over the place, over and over again, that in the relational, God basically is saying, don't take things personal. This is, this is kind of the summation of what God says, and he shows us how, but what he really is saying is, you need to get over it. Don't hold on to it. You need to get over it. Don't carry these things so long. Don't be so quick to get into these battles with different people. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16, look what it says. Fools show their annoyance at once. Just like, you know, go time. But the prudent, the mature... The responsible overlook an insult. So 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 here's what the Proverbs is telling us. Are you, when somebody does something offensive, when somebody rejects, insults, offends, whatever, is your first response tit for tat? It's go time. Do you do you respond with with an a, and quickly a, a retort and a and an insult right back? If you're doing that, Proverbs are saying you're acting like a fool. You're being foolish. You're not being mature. Maturity. Emotionally and spiritually, uh, is is not to be that is not to have that quick response. In fact, we're supposed to be we're supposed to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. It says in James chapter one verse nineteen. And so, what should we do? Well, emotional and spiritual maturity is often revealed in us by how we treat those who mistreat us. Actually, God's looking at us and saying, "How do you handle?" all the craziness that's going on around you. It's very important that we handle it well because that's a sign of our maturity. In fact, when you pray as a Christian, you should be praying, God, give me a tender heart and a tough hide. A tender heart and a tough hide. But I would say to you, most of the time, I have kind of a hard heart and a tender hide. So in your devotional life, are you praying, change them? You know, are you just kind of like, Show them justice, you know, get them, God. No, we need to pray, God, keep my, heart, keep my heart tender towards people, quick to forgive, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You know, years ago, my daddy's in the, the house right now, but years ago, I was, uh, it's weird, he's my father, but I'm his pastor now, but he was my father and my pastor for many, many years. And we would have these, we call them just one-to-ones. It's funny, we had to schedule time to be together because we were so busy in ministry, and I just remember at, there was a particular time, there were many years where I could just lean on him and just dump truck problems and situations. But he was going through a particularly tough time. I didn't realize that at the time, but he was going through a tough time. And so when I would meet with him, he would kind of go to me with emotional issues, spiritual issues, things that were going on. And, and the problem was I, I, I wanted to go to him with that stuff. I wanted to release my emotional problems. I wanted to release my spiritual problems to him. But but I was his firstborn and a trusted confidant, and he didn't have that at that particular time. and, And I was getting offended. And I remember just praying to God. I remember talking to God about it. And God's like, son, you're a second generation Christ follower, second generation minister of the gospel. I've graced you with grace emotional stability. I'm with you. I've given you a certain spiritual maturity that is second generation. You need to be, you need to stop going to that with offense and looking for that expectation. You need to be able to go to him and be a blessing to him emotionally. You need to be able to be a safety net for him emotionally. Stop putting that expectation on him and stop being offended. And you know what? When I realized what God had given me, that he was making me healthy to help things that are not unhealthy not just with my father but people that were that were around me and under my sphere of influence see one of the values that connect is growth growth it's a core value that we have healthy people grow why because healthy people develop healthy people influence and change the environments that are around us. And so we need to be able to get healthy so much so that we can help people that are going through a hard time, help people that are in a different season in their life, and and not get so easily offended or take things personally when it doesn't go the way we want to. What I had to do is look behind sometimes the expectations or the behavior and realize there was a story behind it. See, if Whatever people are doing, whatever people are saying, it's always motivated by something that's going on inside, a hidden driver, a pain, a burden, a problem in, in their life, and there's always a story there. And we need, we, need, we need to put on kind of God glasses to be able to see with the eyes of faith, not through our natural eyes or through our natural needs. And, and for many, many years, I didn't do that. And when you do, you gain a perspective on the situation that gives you a grace towards the person. Does that make sense? There was a, there was a guy that he, he, he was on a plane, and he had two kids, real young kids and a, a, a parent. And, and the kids were, were getting out of their seat, and they were running all over the place. And the different customers on the plane, they were sitting on a tarmac waiting for the plane to take off. Apparently, there was some delay, and the kids were out of their seats, and they shouldn't be. And the stewardess and stewardess were trying to control these kids, and they're running up and down. And they're acting crazy. Eventually, they spilled one of the beverage carts right over one of the customers got up out of his seat and came to correct the father, who was kind of on his hand, you know, chin on his hand, looking out the window like he was disconnected from what even what even was going on. He was completely detached from the behavior of his kids, and 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 this customer was like, "Hey, hey, you need to take care of your kids. We're all here, paid customers, trying to enjoy ourselves, and you're completely checked out." And the guy turned around from looking out the window. Oh, oh, oh kind of shaking his head, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. <sighs> you know, these, my, my, my kids just, well, we just came back from a funeral. Their mother just passed away. And, and in just a moment, the guy backs up. I'm so sorry. He gets in his seat, and he's checked. See, what happened? He had perspective on somebody's pain, and as a result, he was immediately able to have grace towards that person. See sometimes if we would we can look at a person who's sick we can look at a person who's going through a very traumatic situation that's on the outside but God wants us as Christians to be able to look past an emotional and realize and recognize. Right now in this church there are people who've gone through a divorce or are going through a divorce. Right now there are people in this church who are lonely. Right now there are people who are listening online who are struggling with physical sickness and pain or, or some situation that seems insurmountable but nobody can see it or nobody's hearing about it and then we can interact with each other and get really frustrated and consider people crazy. God wants us to look past all those situations and gain a perspective on the person so we can have a grace toward them. Does that make sense to everybody that's out there? And so Proverbs 19, uh, verse 11, it's in your notes. Uh, it says it like this. A person's wisdom yields what? Patience. See, when you, when you can see with, through the eyes of faith, the God glasses, that you get that wise perspective. You realize everybody's got a story. God wants everybody's story to be for his glory, but it takes it takes people to help them through that, healthy people to create healthy people. And so when you're wise, it gives you patience. And then it's mature, it's rewarded. God looks down from heaven and says it's a glory for a person to overlook those things. The Bible says love overlooks a multitude of offenses. Grace always wins. When you have perspective, you'll have grace towards people. Amen? So refuse to be offended. Number two, write this down. Don't wait for an apology to forgive. This is the part that I told you, remember I said every step gets tougher? This is the one where you might not see the outcome you want, maybe ever the way you want it, but God's still asking you to do it for you. You can't wait for an apology. In other words, I think as Christians, and most of you probably are in here, some of you might be seeking, I call you pre-believers because I think if you knew what I knew, you'd want what I have. But I'll tell you this: Some of you have been raised in the faith, and you know you're supposed to forgive. But this is what you're thinking: I'll forgive when he says he's sorry, when she says she's sorry. I'll forgive when they apologize, and they bet parenthetically, and they better do it well. See, my wife and I, we used to get in arguments over how we apologized. I'll just say it's not normally this way. But let's say Stacy did something wrong; it's usually me, and so and she'd come and she'd say, "I'm sorry." And I'd say, no, you're not. And then she'd say, if I said I'm sorry, then I'm sorry. Don't tell me whether I'm sorry. See, look at the way you're acting. How could you possibly be sorry if you say sorry like that? It's very clear from your heart that you're not So, Before you know it, we're not even talking about the issue. We're talking about how we say we're sorry. Does anybody know what I'm talking about out there? Yeah, 10 of you. Praise the Lord. I'm all by myself, completely immature. <laughs> See, here's what happens. Sometimes... We're waiting for an apology that may never come. You know why? Because they don't even know you're offended. <laughs> a lot of times we are, you are, editorially obsessing about something that they don't even know they did. I heard this, I saw this Hallmark card, and I wrote it down, never go to bed angry, stay awake and plot your revenge. <laughs> like the first part I thought was biblical when I was reading it, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Wait a minute! Plot your revenge, you know. (laughs) See, revenge will tear you up inside, won't it? Because because as Christians, we need to have kind of a habit issue and a heart issue. The habit is when somebody offends us, forgive. What happens is then the heart comes and follows that. Decisions lead, feelings follow. It's not feelings lead. It's decisions lead and feelings follow. Forgiveness in Christianity is completely different than all the other major religions of the world. You may never forget, but you can't hold on to the hurt. That's why God's asking you to forgive. He's not saying forget. He's saying forgive. Why? Because I don't want you to hold that hurt. I don't want the hurt associated with that memory to be there. So I'm telling you now, up front, to forgive, to forgive. And you may not realize... You know, that if you wait for the apology, it may never come. I, this, is, this is a true story, and it's a terrible admission. But I can remember um, this girl years ago. Apparently, she was hurt by me. I had offended her. And the offense was interpersonal, a lack of interpersonal contact, let's say. So she'd see me in a setting like this. This has happened to me more than once. She'd see me in a setting like church, and, and, and I, she said I'd walk by her. wouldn't even say hi. She even went so far as to say that I would walk around her to totally avoid her. She had re- she reviewed all these scenarios in her mind. She had all these situations and observations that she made where basically I was rejecting her and she got hurt and she got offended. So she came in and she sat down with me and she said, "I'm just going to say her name Susan. If you're Susan, I'm sorry." But she said <laughs> she said, "Pastor Derek, are are you are you mad at me? Are you mad at me?" And I, and she tells me all these stories. She tells me all these different situations. I said, Hunt, I said, Susan, to be honest with you, it's worse than you think. I haven't been thinking about you at all. <laughs> Nobody likes that. I think it's hysterical. <laughs> it's even worse. Here's the deal. I didn't even know that I had hurt her. And she'd been going months and months and months obsessing about this offense. See, you need to let it go for you. You need to let it go for you. I'm going to ask that the team come because we're going, to, we're going to do something weird and different in the middle of the service. We're going to have communion. And this is why I'm saying what I'm saying. Because some of you are holding on to things that God wants you to let go of. And if you can let go of them, you could grow and get healthy. And you're like, well, what about this? And that's not fair about that. Hold on on that. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But what God says in the stages and development of your growth is refuse to be offended, don't wait for apology, and forgive. Step one, step two. We'll get to three and four in just a second. I promise it's going to help even more. But are you going to trust God and do that? Now, here's what needs to happen. You say, well, I, I know I need to forgive, but how do I forgive? And before we pray over the elements and what's going to happen is the leaders are going to direct you to come down front. This is what I want to happen. Look at me. Don't look at them. Look at me. Pay attention, kids. Kids, kids. Hello, hello, hello. I have candy. I have candy. So I'll grow up. Thank you. Here's, here's, what, I want. here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm believing will happen for you. I want, to, I want to create a space of moment in the middle of a message where you can get to the place where you have, I call them heavy revies, a heavy rev. you have a revelation, a realization. How do I forgive? Okay, okay. The power t- to forgive comes in the revelation of how much you've been forgiven. Jesus came to forgive you so you could forgive others. Yeah, you can't do it. You won't actually be able to do it until you realize how much he forgave you. So when, when you take and participate in communion, I want you to remember, it's a time of remembrance, I want you to think back, look back, if you have to close your eyes to do it, if you have to if you have to focus on the words of the song that we're gonna sing in just a minute, I hope that helps you. I don't know how to tell you to do it. But we celebrate communion, and we fellowship and participate with Jesus, not just as a memorial, but it can be a dynamic encounter between you and Jesus where you realize, I was on, in essence, spiritually death row. Uh, To pay for my sin, I'd have to die, but even that wouldn't pay for it. I was emotionally, physically, and spiritually bankrupt, and Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth in purity and perfection, navigated life that I couldn't do and I will never be able to do and then took all the craziness upon himself. And he, he received, you know, punishment. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The Bible tells us that he took punches. He took beatings and bruises. He took insults and assaults. He took, they spit upon him. They said all manner of evil against him. And he took nails into his hands and to his feet and he crowned thorns upon his head. And he's up on that cross and the Bible says he looked down upon all the crazy people and all the things that they had done. And in Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them decision. Why? Because they don't even know what they've done. They don't even know what they've done. So I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you to come. My daughter's going to sing a song, and, it's, and, and, and the song, it's basically a revelation that the singer and the lyrics display. How can it be? I was guilty. How can it be? You know, I, I was broken. How can it be? I've done all these things wrong, and yet you paid it all for me. Grace came towards me. I pray that you have a moment. Would you just close your eyes as I pray for you? God, this is the part I, I can't do. I I don't know how to... Illustrate. I don't know how to make the connection. Holy Spirit, come into this room, and for every person that's in this room, as they take these elements, they're symbolic of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. May they come to the realization, the revelation, the heavy revy, that Jesus Christ shed his blood, not for just all people. He did it for me. He, his blood was shed for me. His body was broken. His body was beaten. His body was bruised so that I could be healed and I could be healthy so I could help and heal others and they could be healthy. God, you forgave me so I could forgive others. I pray, Lord Jesus, we would see you for a moment, somehow, on that cross, dying for me. In Jesus' name, amen. pray that every person just had a minute to just connect. What an awesome God you are. Grace reaching out towards me. How can it be? I'm so thankful God today again for that grace that was extended towards me, your son, and these your your, your sons and daughters in this room God. I think we all need that God. We all need that. I don't know how to bring everybody there I just know how to lead them to it and you and them make the connection. God, I just thank you. I see what you did for me, and I'm grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. The Bible says, make allowances for each other's faults. Make allowance. It's in the Greek. It basically means cut some slack. Put some slack on the line. Forbearance. Give people that. I, I was... Looking at, I was on YouTube, and I saw an, an old story uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. You guys probably heard there was not too long ago there was a white supremacist that went into a church like this. There was a Bible study taking place with nine people there, and he gunned them all down. He killed nine people. And um, and later, what wasn't necessarily seen or told, but it was on national television. Uh, it was recorded. Um, they had an opportunity to meet their uh, their offender. The families of the deceased were able to kind of see this, this guy face-to-face and confront him. And rather than confront him, they forgave him. And one after the other, because of the impact and the decision to obey God's word and do what it says, they verbalized, we forgive you you killed someone that I loved and they said, we forgive you. That's, that's a big deal. And one of, the, one of the things I took away, and I don't remember if it was stated, but they said in so many words, they realized that he, this offender would spend his life in prison. He may never apologize, but they forgave. And, and they realized he would spend his life in prison, but they didn't want to spend their life in prison. And that's why they forgave. That's why they forgave. See, to understand forgiveness, you have to understand what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it is a decision. It's a decision. And what God asks us to do as Christ followers is I'm, I'm asking you to decide, to trust me to do it my way. Yeah, it's, is it counterculture? Is it counterintuitive? Oh, yeah, it definitely is. But it's, it's for you, it's so you can be free from the bondage and the prison of that pain and that hurt by forgiving, by forgiving. The other thing that forgiveness is not is it doesn't deny justice, and we'll talk about this in a second, but it doesn't doesn't deny justice. It's simply saying, I want to take justice out of your hands, and I want to put it in God's hands. In other words, if justice is in your hands, here's here's the downside of that. If you're holding on to justice, you're saying, I want them to get what's coming to them, and then God's going to say to you, well, then you're going to get What's coming to you. So I want you to turn that over to me, and I'll take care of that. It's not justice denied. God will take care of it. Now, here's the third step that I want to get into quickly, and that is, and this is the part where people get messed up, and that is don't cave in, okay? Don't cave in. There's this misconception that being a Christian means you just kind of have to be weak and meek. And I'll explain the meek is true, but the weak is not. As many people think, Christians are just weak. And and it's because we don't understand really what forgiveness really is. And and, and we think sometimes forgiveness is just be a doormat. I was talking to a girl after the first service, and she came out of an abusive background. She unpacked some of the stuff with me just right out here at the front door. And she said, I came out of abuse, so I never, wanted to, I never wanted to be like that, so I just chose to forgive my whole life. And, but it's not gone the way I wanted to. It just kept piling up, and I just kept being taken advantage of and taken advantage of. And I feel like, and she said, a doormat. And see, there's nothing in the Bible that says you are called as a Christian to be a doormat. God doesn't want you to cave in. Love never gives in to manipulation. Love does not give in to manipulation or control. That's not what God has called you to do. We can forgive, but you don't cave in. Say that. Say, we forgive, but we don't cave in. We don't give in to manipulation. We don't give in to control. See, peacemakers, uh, we look at our civil leaders and our our law enforcement. They're called peacemakers. Most of the time, the peacemaker is just going around uh, um, ministering peace just because they have a badge on their chest. There's an authority within that badge. But once in a blue moon, they have to exercise their full authority and, and assert themselves in situations by using the tools that has been given them. Similarly, as Christians, most of the time we can talk about things and we can, we can minister, things, but, and we can forgive, and we can release. And all that, but every now and then, we're going to have to not cave in. We're going to have to hold our ground, not change our pivot foot. There are going to have to be um, unconditional love but relational conditions. Love is unconditional, but relationship has conditions to it. And so we, um, we, 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 don't, we, we don't give in. We give over responsibility to God for the hurt and for the pain, but we don't give in to the relationship conditions continuing the way they are. Does that make sense to everybody out there? Forgiveness, as Christ followers, is instant. That's the grace part. But trust is earned by actions over time takes time for those things. So if you've been in, I, she'd have been in an abusive relationship. I said, listen, so if you've been in an abu- abusive relationship, your first step is to get the abuser away from you. Amen. You might have to call the authorities and say, hey, out of the house. You know, we, you can't do that with me if we're going to be in this relationship. I love you, but I love you enough to kick you out of my house. Yes. Okay? That's the first step. Now, what if he says, I'm sorry, and he's genuine, and he's sincere, and what is your responsibility? To forgive. Forgiveness is instant how do you do it? By grace. But trust is earned. So what does that mean? If he says, okay, thank you for forgiveness. I'm going to come home now. Mm-mm, that's not okay. No, that's, that's, that, has to be, that has to be earned over time. That, that's a process because reconciliation is a process. You see the same thing sometimes. That if you've been in church, you see um, church leaders who make mistakes and they fall, and there's moral failures from from the leader, you know, down to different leadership. And you usually see this either no forgiveness and then uh, accelerated placement back into leadership, or you see for you see you see people forgive and then. Um, and then there's 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 no process for re- they, they they quickly pull pu- pull people in or there or there's no process for redemption. See what we should do is we should forgive them yes, but there's going to have to be a process of restoration. If, if there's abuse, if there's if there's um, a moral failure, if there's betrayal, whatever the relationship, it's a process. Trust is earned inch by inch, but it's lost yard by yard. That's what happens. And Jesus was awesome at dealing with these kind of things, and he would assert himself with the religious. And I'm not going to take the time to do that this morning. But he would confront the Pharisees who were basically demeaning and disapproving and discontented, and and they would try to hurl all these rules on him. And he's like, "You're a bunch of hypocrites. You're a brood of vipers." You know, he he didn't cave in to that. He was strong. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, was like brood of vipers. You know, pass the potatoes. You know, how how would that be for a dinner meal with Jesus, right? Okay, that's how he was. So meek is not weak. Can I have an amen out there? In fact, blessed are the meek. We see this and sometimes we don't understand. So let me unpack meek for you. We're called to be meek. Meek means strength under control. That's the definition of meek. Meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. If you were to take or to see a stallion in the wild, a wild stallion, horse in the wild, Probably nobody's ever seen that, including myself, but I watched Black Beauty when I was a kid. <laughs> when you see that horse in that wild, what they'll do is they'll, they'll capture that horse, and then they, what they do is they break it. With, with they break it, that term is called making it meek. They break the horse and they make it meek. It's, they're creating Is the horse, once it's broken, once it's made meek, has it lost any of its strength? No, it's just now all of its strength is under the control of its master. So what we're trying to do as Christ followers is to become meek, not weak. I, I grew up in, in a home of uh, early years. It was transformed by the grace of God. But I grew up in the early years in, in some abuse and some crazy conflict and things like that. And there was generations of that before me. And, and I'm, I'm 18 years old punching holes through walls. Losing my cool, going to be a a third, fourth generation rageaholic, crazy. But by the grace of God, by uh, renewing my mind with the word, by memorizing Proverbs and James, by the dozens of verses and verses and hiding the word of God in my heart that I might not sin against thee, I would have principled responses to these difficult situations. And this is going to sound, it's either crazy or funny, but I'm kind of like the peacemaker in my family. People, pe- people in certain, like I go to other churches and I teach them how to resolve conflict. That's either funny or that's God who transformed somebody's life to make them strong, under control, meek, but not weak. Can I have an amen? i am tell you what, it makes me fired up just thinking about what God's done in my life based on some of the things that I've seen, some of the things that I could have been like. Thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. Anyway, here's my fourth point. The hardest one of all, always take the high road. Always take the high No matter what they do, you don't do that. You take the high road. Don't get baited in. Don't, don't get baited into the arguments and the debates and trading insult for insult. Don't persecute because you've been persecuted. Because you can't control them, but you 100% of the time can control you. You can't be responsible for them, but you can be responsible for you. Can I have an Amen. See, we're living in a world where the strongest muscle in our life is free will agency. The ability to choose. Choice is your strongest muscle. As I always say, it's stronger than your bicep, your deltoid, your pectoral, and your quadriceps. Some of you just don't know what I'm talking about right now, but those are all muscles in your body, okay? Your choice is stronger, and you can only choose to change you. You can't use your choice to change somebody else because they have their own choice muscle. All right? So change you. But there's this verse in the Bible, this chapter in the Bible. It's the high road chapter, really. Romans 12 and following. It says, bless those who persecute you. These are the crazy people. You can insert. Bless bless those. What the? Here we go. Bless those who are crazy. Okay? Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. That's easy. Live in harmony with everybody? I don't know. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with low people. Okay, I can do that. Don't be conceited. Well, that's sometimes tough. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. That's that tit for tat, that bow up. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. You're walking billboards. You're living curriculum. Then this verse is huge. Romans twelve eighteen. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. So what's this saying? 100% of the time, you, cha- you deal with you. As far as depends on you. Live peaceably with everyone. Now, it has this little clause in the front of that. It has this two-letter powerful word saying if. That means you can't change them, but the same verse is saying you can change you. You can change you. But when you do change you and you decide not to take revenge, here's what happens. You leave room for God to get involved. It is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. Here's what happens. When you change you and you don't worry about them, God says, every wrong, every debt, every injustice, every iniquity, I'm going to pay for that. They'll, they'll take, I'll take care of it for you. There will, justice will be served. Turn that over to me so it's not upon you. I'm going to take care. Vengeance is mine. I will avenge. I'll make sure all those debts are paid. On the contrary, what you should do with your enemies is feed them, uh, give them what they need to drink. When When you treat them, when you kill them with kindness like that, you put conviction on them from the Holy Spirit. That's what that's talking about they're like wait a minute why is he being like that why is he why is he behaving like that what's he doing i'll tell you what he's doing he's overcoming evil with good that's what this is it's translated right here how do you overcome evil with good Amen. the famous president abraham lincoln was known you know for treating his his enemies well even though they were trying to insult him assault his character he had all these political enemies and he was known for treating his enemies extremely well and I quote, he said this, he said, I destroy my enemies by making them my friends. He was so successful in his life because he overcame evil with good. Can I have an amen? amen? Amen. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray for you right where you are. I want to ask you a question. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a second. What would happen? in the relationships that you have in your life, if you employed these steps, what would happen if you actually did it? You didn't just listen to it. You didn't just hear it, you actually obeyed it. Well, you'd be free. You wouldn't be in prison anymore. And you actually might see some of the crazy family situations you're dealing with. Over time, maybe be healed, maybe be transformed because God's word It works. And his word returns without void. It happens every time. It's powerful. So I want to encourage you, sir, ma'am, boy, or girl, to follow God's word. Maybe right there in your seat, you make a commitment to do what God's word says. Maybe for a Christian, you'll see conflict different, these problems different, and you'll accept them as assignments, not accidents. Maybe you're here today and you want to do it, you want to do the right thing, but you, you, don't, you don't feel like you have that power to forgive. What I would say, if you don't feel like you have that power, you either never received forgiveness, or you've not accepted what God said about it. But if you've never received God's forgiveness, you never, you never accepted what Jesus did for you on the cross 2,000 years ago, what we celebrated just a few minutes ago, I would just say this, Christians, what a Christian is, is forgiven. That's really the simplest definition of what a Christian is. It's somebody who came to the realization, I could not save myself. I had a debt that I couldn't pay for my sins. And Jesus Christ paid that debt for me. I'm forgiven. And I'm grateful. And I'm thankful. And what you do to receive that is confess that with your mouth, believe it in your heart, and then acknowledge it before men. And so I want to give you a chance right now. You might not get this chance again. You don't know. You may be listening online and... You're thinking, something's happening to me right now and I need to respond to that. I wanna, I wanna give you that chance to confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And if that's you, and even everybody in this room, would you join these people? Would you all together say this prayer with me? Would you say, Jesus, I confess you are the Savior of the world and I make you my Lord today. I thank you that you died for my sins and you paid a debt that I couldn't pay, that I owed, and I receive that right now. I believe you are the Son of God and you rose on the third day and I receive in my heart new life in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for every person who prayed that prayer sincerely, especially those for the first time, that you would seal that. The Bible says the angels rejoice when people confess and believe. But something happens when you acknowledge him before men. The Bible says he'll acknowledge you before his father in heaven with every eye closed, every head bowed. If you prayed that prayer for the first time with courage, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I just prayed that prayer for the first time. Go ahead and raise your hand and say, that was me. That was me. That was me. One, two, three, four, five, six. Come on, good. Anybody else that I'm missing? Come on, don't be ashamed. It's just me, you, and God looking right now. Thank you, sir. Thank you for that. That's awesome. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. I rejoice with you. I commend you for that decision. It's the best decision in your life. And we're going to tell you what to do next as my son comes to the front. But let's just rejoice for those decisions that were made together. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap. God bless you for your attention. God bless you for making that decision. Come on up, son.